Welcome to Hi. the Anchor. That was very Wind Waker. And once Hi. you once you play, yeah, exactly. The way characters say "Hey" in Zelda has like permanently changed the way I communicate. But anyway, you were opening the show. Uh, please continue. Oh yeah, it is into the Aether. <laughs> it's a low-key video game podcast. Believe it or not, my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. You and I are both so tired today. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. gonna be for really. It's really low key, actually. We appreciate your patience with the Metroid Prime bonus. I've been busier than normal. I feel like for the past x years of doing the show i found a really good balance between like my personal life work the show and other creative projects and in the last like month and a half i've added another thing to that and i'm like this might be too much (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is kind of why we needed to push the metroid prime episode back but also we just really wanted to see it through and i was up until midnight last night basically finishing the game which i'm glad i did but uh i you know i'm 33 staying up to midnight has immediate effects on my bones at this point so i wake up And, and feel hungover. Yeah. I didn't even get the joy out of the pre-hungover part. You just feel like... You just feel like shit. Yeah. Feeling the weight of your decisions. But, yeah. you know. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I uh, also up very late playing the game that I'm about to talk about. But before we get into that, I do want to give a quick shout out to everybody who said extremely kind things about our Dreamcast episode yeah. that we threw on the Patreon last week. That episode was really fun to record. Like, really fun. We we both had a great time. Thank you so much to Chris Plant for joining us and doing that. Um, yeah, for real. That is like... That episode came out so great. AJ's editing is like unreal. It's fun. So if you don't know anything about the Dreamcast, like Steven and I didn't, uh, you should go check that out. But ever since then, I've been like actually playing Dreamcast games, which is fun. Uh, I've, I've been I, I endeavor to I, I'm going to see if I can make this happen. It's definitely harder than I thought. But my original plan was to record the first 30 minutes, my first 30 minutes with every Dreamcast game that's on our list and put it on our YouTube. Uh, I've been streaming sometimes, been recording them se- separately sometimes um there are some games i just can't do 30 minutes of <laughs> everyone have in a against while. buzz lightyear and star command you know? <laughs> man that game in particular was so funny because like it's based on the animated tv show that was on the disney channel in i guess like the early 2000s when yeah. the dreamcast was out and because of the size of discs and like how much data they could actually store on there they try and put clips from the show in there but they like hard cut in the beginning like halfway through a line and hard cut at the end like halfway into a line yeah. So you never actually really get a clip. It's just like a jump scare of actually good animation. And then you're back to like the first ever 3D render ever. It reminds me a lot of the PS1 game Rascal, which is maybe <laughs> I think. Do you have a formative memory of like, oh, this game is bad? Like, yeah, if we do. talk a lot about it as a kid, like kind of implicitly finding joy and everything. But then you then you hit that wall and you're yeah. like, oh, this sucks. And Rascal <laughs> was that for me. Um, I, I, I assumed if I wasn't enjoying something, I just assumed it was too hard or like mm-hmm. I was doing some, I took the blame, which is maybe something I can work out elsewhere, yeah. but I took blame for a game not being fun until rascal. Uh, and then I grew up. You were like, this is not my fault. Yeah. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is not, I am not the rascal here. My yeah. friend. That was my yeah. feeling about Indiana Jones and the last crusade on the Sega Genesis. Mm. Uh, I got that game because I was a huge Indiana Jones fan. Still am. Um, and I was like, oh my God, they made a game. They made a a video game out of Indiana Jones and it is a nightmare, Steven. It is like unreal difficult. I actually haven't played it as an adult. Maybe if I went back and played it as an adult, I would have a better time with it. But 
Steven, I suspect not. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the era, like going back to Star Command, Buzz Lightyear. Like this is the era where like if the game was based on a, on a show or an IP, like it's almost the opposite now. Like now if there's like a game coming out based on anything before the year 2002, it's like the most high budget, like, <laughs> you know, uh, press yeah. everywhere marketed to hell game. Yeah. Perfect Dark is going to be the first ever quadruple A video game officially. <laughs> but like in the early 2000s, it was like just it was probably like a pre-existing game that wasn't finished. And someone like I had to stamp a known Put thing like on the cover it. and yeah. we'll sell it. It's essentially like the pet food of games like just, just put something in a bag and sell it Can we get patrick warburton to go Ugh, when he gets hit oh no we can't <laughs> that's high art anything with patrick warburton is is worth buying but still that's to a true. point yeah anyway if you want to check those videos out that's on our <laughs> youtube um there have been some fun ones already there have been yeah, a couple yeah. like real standout games a big part of it is just like you and i do these console episodes every year and i feel like a lot of the prep for i mean the first one the game boy advance one was literally a secret we didn't tell anybody we were doing it yeah the ds one we did kind of slowly over time every once in a while we'd bring up a ds game on the show but like for the most part very like kind of solitary experience also and i was like this time around the the list of games is manageable enough that I could probably like share the experience of checking this stuff out. So if you want to do that along with me, uh, by all means, go to youtube.com slash into the cast. Yeah, I like I like that we're sharing the experience more this time. Yeah, the, the DS prep, we started in like January. Like we had at least six or seven months of just DS prep. Yeah. Um, this time it's going to be a little bit more concentrated, which is yeah. exciting. I also want to follow up a conversation from last week. I can't, oh, okay. I can't believe this has happened. But uh, so now both of my Switch Pro controllers have fallen prey to drift. <laughs> they heard your comments. Yeah, I've, I've switched over to my 8-Bitto Ultimate controller, which is the one I got for the Steam Deck initially, and also works with the Switch. It's the other thing that it works with. It works with like PC games and the Nintendo Switch. And boy, is that controller great. I used that for the end of Metroid Prime, uh, and it took like a little bit of kind of like a learning curve to get over just like switching from controller to controller but what a great experience that was i love that controller and it has the hall effect analog sticks like the dreamcast does uh <laughs> so it'll never break and that's wonderful but on top of that my dual sense also now has stick drift which is like killer to me because i i didn't realize this so like the dual sense is usually around 80 dollars, but like for the ps5 yeah retail yeah. price is 90 dollars. like it's Jeez. an almost 100 dollar video game controller and i was like how badly do I want to buy another one of these knowing that this might just happen again? You know, it's been like, what, two years since the PS5 came out? <sighs> what was the end of 2020? Yeah. So like yeah, two and a half, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, which I guess isn't that bad, but still it's like, am I going to spend a hundred dollars on this thing every, you know, two and a half years for its entire life cycle? Yeah. Like, I don't know <laughs> if I feel very good about that. So I started looking up like alternatives. I was like, hey, is there, is there anything else? Because like on the Xbox, I have the elite controller and that thing is amazing. And I yeah. will probably never need to replace it. I've heard that that thing also falls prey to stick drift. Uh, but thankfully, mine has not. But I mean, that that controller is amazing. And I was like, there's got to be something like that for the PS5. So I was looking around at controllers. First of all, Sony has the DualSense Edge, which we talked about last week, which is their high end controller, which is $200 and has worse battery life. Uh, <laughs> and I talked to somebody I work with who got one and was like, absolutely do not buy this thing. Oh, um, so that was out immediately. And I was like, OK, is there anything else around? And I looked up lists of like alternative ps5 controllers and all of them have these like unbelievable trade-offs like every single one of them 
first of all, they're all uh, over $200. Like every other controller that's not just the normal DualSense as $90 is $200 or more for some reason. And they all have wild trade-offs. There's this Razer one that's really expensive and doesn't vibrate at all. It doesn't have any kind of... It doesn't have any kind of rumble. There's uh, Scuff makes their own version. And I heard that the the buttons on purpose feel like mouse clicks instead of like buttons. Interesting. Because it's supposed to be like for people playing Call of Duty specifically, <laughs> which I guess is better. I, don't, I guess that's better. Um, and it's also like 200 something dollars and it takes like three or four weeks for them to give it to you. So I was like, what can I get now? Yeah. Like if I wanted to get a controller like tomorrow because I, I can't play the game that I'm about to talk about really effectively because of the stick drift, like what am I, what am I supposed to do? And I looked up the dual sense and the dual sense is also backordered. Like you can't get one for like two weeks. So I bought the, the gigantic weird razor one <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't vibrate. That's the, that trigger. doesn't vibrate. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have the adaptive triggers or any, like it doesn't have the stuff that the dual sense has. And I'm like, is this a worthwhile trade-off for the thing? Not fucking breaking. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'll report back on it, but that's, I think it depends on the game. I mean, cause some don't yeah, really use true. it at all. So you could probably use it for those, but for yeah. like, for the first party stuff or like Astro's playroom, you'll want to, you want to feel it. Yeah, you would want all that stuff. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's bizarre that that there are all these weird trade-offs. Like, for example, I didn't know this, but uh, Sony doesn't allow third-party controllers to use the PlayStation button on the controller to turn the system on. Oh, wow. You can only do that with the DualSense. That's the only way you can do it, <laughs> which is wild to me. Yeah. But anyway, I'll report back on this Razer thing, but uh, hopefully it'll allow me to play Star Wars Jedi Survivor Woo-hoo! more effectively. Woo-hoo, everybody's clapping. Yeah. Um... Here's the thing. I won't I won't get into the hubbub about the game. There's a lot of hubbub about the game, which I, I think has been well documented, well reported everywhere. The performance issues. It's the performance issues. Got I'll it. touch on it lightly. The PC version is borked. Everything I've seen about the PC version is like you have a better chance of it not working than working, unfortunately, yeah. um, which is rough. Respawn, the developers behind the game have already issued a statement. They said they're working on it. They're trying to fix it. It wasn't like malice. They weren't like, haha, we're releasing a broken game. Like they thought it was fine and it wasn't, you know, that happens because when you go from QA testing a game, you know, with like 30 or 40 people in house to uh, sending it to millions of people. Hey, guess what? New problems arise uh, because PCs are not all built the same way like the PS5 or the Xbox is. That said, the PS5 and the Xbox version is also kind of fucked up and I've been playing it on the PS5. Notably, the big thing that I've heard about the PS5 version is that performance mode, which plays in 60 frames per second, is like completely borked like can bust up your save file has a lot of screen tearing issues isn't hitting 60 frames per second usually also which seems like it kind of defeats the purpose of performance mode quote unquote i heard all that before i started playing the game i got it uh and started playing it on quality mode it's been mostly fine with a couple glaring issues every once in a while being again like frame rate drops during combat which is like the the thing you want the least in this kind of game right Um, and i'll explain why later but uh that has happened to me more than once um i haven't had any crashes though uh there's a lot of texture pop in i don't really care about that like i as as you know if you've listened to the show for a long enough time i generally care more about like is the game fun are the characters good how's the music you know i notice it when it's like really bad basically yeah yeah. uh and you know i think there's a little bit of like i I like for example like pokemon scarlet and violet that's a scenario where i'm like yeah i'm gonna mention this when we talk about it yes you know like when we bring it up it's because it stands out in some way yeah and it does it does stand out in this game specifically because if you if you don't know anything about jedi fallen order which is the previous game or this one they're very much a mix of like metroidvanias uncharted and 
Dark Souls. Like those are the three games that they're kind of smashing into each other and then like slapping Star Wars on top of. When the frame rate is dropping during the Dark Souls fights, that's troubling. Like that's <laughs> that's where it right. starts to rub me the wrong way. So I just want to shout that out. I mean, I'm sure it'll get fixed. And this is the thing because you and I were talking about it right before we started recording and you were like, I don't know if I'm going to play it anytime soon. Like I might wait until the end of the year. I will say like you should play this before the end of the year. I think it's I mean, it's one of the best games I played this year and it will probably be on my list if I was to guess. Because I'm liking awesome. it a lot. But, you know, do you need it for $70 right now in the state that it's in? Probably not. Maybe wait till there are patches out. And also it's going to be on sale, I'm sure, by like September, you know? Right. So exactly. Maybe that's the way to go with this game. All of that said... I like this game a whole bunch. I think it's really great. Uh, I I have had the performance issues, but they're not stopping me from enjoying the game. The thing that is stopping me from enjoying the game is the fact that my the right analog stick on my dual sense always points up at all times. <laughs> and you know what's wild about it, too, is the game, because it's an Uncharted style game, it has that kind of like Sony first party over the shoulder uh, traversal thing going on it it looks exactly the same as when in all of those games they like snap the camera to a point to like draw your attention to it it's like hey something's about to happen here but usually it's just the ceiling <laughs> or usually it's oh just the sky and nothing happens and it's it started happening slowly where i was like is this the game glitching like i thought that the game was just like registering cinematic moments that weren't actually there which i thought was really funny at first <laughs> yeah but then i like went into photo mode and i started taking pictures and, it, and I would like line up the shot perfectly and then it would just go whoop and just like point oh, directly no. at the sky. I was like, oh, this is a problem with the controller. This is not a problem with the video game, unfortunately. So <laughs> that has made it very difficult because again, you know, so you have like the, the frame rate drops during some of the Dark Souls stuff. My controller issue during the traversal stuff is like, killing me like like actually it is killing cal kestis over and over and over <laughs> again because i'm like you know doing a backflip off of like a pole that i'm spinning around like i'm uh, jack and jackster uh and then launching myself into the air to try and like attach myself to the side of a wall so i can bounce off of it and go somewhere else and when the controller is like what if you were looking at the ceiling actually while you were midair <laughs> check this out yeah, uh, it really fucks you up. Yeah. So those are the issues that I'm having. Let's kind of re take a step back, talk about Jedi Survivor. So Jedi Fallen Order is a game that came out a couple years ago. It came out, I think, in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. Uh, I remember that specifically because that's when we talked about cats. Um, so oh, cats yeah, you're right. <laughs> I was thinking about, like, do I jump scare Brendan with something cats related for this reunion? <laughs> but I'm like, what, 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 what? There's no cats, too. What am I going to do? There's nothing. So that we know of. Yeah. Judy Dench. What has Tom uh, Hooper been up to? <laughs> Does anyone have eyes on Tom Hooper? <laughs> this is an issue of national security. Is he making the cats, too? And we don't know about it. <laughs> Yeah, so, but that, that's specifically why I remember it was at the end of 2019. Yeah. And you liked it. I didn't play it, but I remember you you enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And and that pitch of, like, Uncharted meets Dark Souls meets, like, a mo like more literal Metroidvania. I know Dark Souls is kind of Metroidvania-y, but, like, a more literal Metroidvania. Like, there's a map with doors that are color-coded depending on if you have the power you need to get through them. It's, like, that literal, you know? That appealed to me. The idea of playing as a Jedi in that specific time period, which is like after order 66 so that's like after episode three when the emperor is like we're gonna wipe out all the jedi and before the beginning of episode four which is luke skywalker and the whole journey whatever being like a jedi that's on the run who survived that like uh, essentially genocide of that entire group it's an interesting 
time period is set Star Wars. Like of all of the things that they've set Star Wars and of all the time periods they've set Star Wars in, like that's one of the more interesting ones, I think, to explore. Um, And that's an interesting angle to explore also, because there are a lot of games where you play as Jedi. There are things like The Force Unleashed, which is like very much a game that is supposed to be kind of like a power fantasy fulfilled, but also has, uh, I would say, Big Mountain Dew energy. You know, <laughs> so the one for the Wii. Yeah, it was on. It was on the the PS3, I think, and the Wii and the Xbox 360. It was like that era. You know, that might have been the same year Yoda was in Soul Calibur. It was a dark time for for the IP of Star Wars. Yeah, it was. It was weird. It was a weird era. So that having been said, um, I played through all of Jedi Fallen Order. Um, I finished it like way later, actually, and. I think that that game is really great and it had what you and I have called in the past um, the Assassin's Creed effect, which is like you're playing a game and you know for certain the sequel is going to be awesome. Like, yeah, it was like within minutes of playing Jedi Fallen Order that I was like, I, I, I know that they will make a sequel to this game and that thing is going to be sick. Dare I say Scarlet Nexian as an alternative <laughs> term. Uh, well, we have to see a sequel first. That's true. And I, I'm not fully Scarlet Nexian is when you want a sequel, but are not sure it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> OK. And yeah, OK. This is this is the, the Venn diagram here. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't know what we're talking about, because I guess uh, Assassin's Creed came out in 2007. Assassin's Creed was a, like a pretty all right video game. Like it was good. It had some good systems and some good ideas, but it didn't really all come together. But like as everyone played it in 2007, every Everyone knew that the second one was going to be good. Like it, it was very obvious that Ubisoft cared a lot about that as an IP that they wanted to build up. And everyone was just kind of like, yeah, it's good. It's a good proof of concept. It's a it's a blueprint for a sequel. And when Assassin's Creed 2 came out, guess what? That game was great uh, at the yeah, time. That's like the one, right? Yeah, yeah. That was that was Italy. It was Ezio Auditore. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, I like I liked it when it came out. I haven't played it since. Um, I did get it on the Switch recently. But anyway, playing Jedi Fallen Order, I I knew in my heart of hearts that I was gonna love the sequel. And I mean, they they nailed it. Like they did exactly that. The sequel is everything that I wanted it to be and more. It has all. It's awesome. The thing the thing about it in particular uh, that you are going to love that I didn't realize was part of this is it like very literally does an Assassin's Creed two thing. Actually, this might have been Assassin's Creed like two point five. Like they they had a trilogy of games where you played as Ezio. I think it was maybe in the second one, Brotherhood, it might have been called, where you got like a villa and a little town around the villa that you could like oh, yeah. upgrade yeah. and recruit people to and like turn it into like a little town um, and you manage the town. That is happening in Jedi Survivor, which I wasn't expecting. And I think you in particular are going to love that if you play this game because one of the first planets you go to is this planet called Kobo and uh, you're there to like meet up with a guy who was on your ship in the first game and he runs a cantina and you're just like going to hang out with him. And as you kind of make your way around and you're, you know, like a, the good guy, you're a Jedi who like wants to help people, you kind of realize that the places in like dire straits um it's being attacked by raiders constantly um there's a lot of hostile life around uh and and cal kestis who is the protagonist of this game is like I think I think I could do good here. I think I could like actually help out. And this area, this planet is gigantic. I mean, the amount of stuff to do here outside of just like the main story is unbelievable to me. Um, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface of what's possible on Kobo. I have unlocked the ability to go to the next planet like, I don't know, three or four hours ago. And I just haven't done it yet because I'm so compelled by building up the town. I just unlocked. I found these two people, uh, these two like like alien, I would say, explorers um, out in the middle of nowhere getting attacked by like a big Sasquatch with horns. And when I took out the Sasquatch to save them, they were like, we're actually here researching monsters so we can add them to our cool board game. Uh, 
<laughs> I love that. And Cal was like, what is the board game all about? And they were like, well, you know, you, you use monsters to fight one another. They're like digital recreations of the monsters and they fight one another. It's kind of like chess. It's not the chess that was on the Millennium Falcon. To be I was clear. about to ask. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was when they first started talking about it. But anyway, you know, it's kind of like chess, whatever. Uh, but we need a place to like beta test it. And Cal is like, put it in the saloon, put it in the cantina. <laughs> and now they're in the cantina and you can play the game. And I just spent the last hour just playing that game over and over again. And first of all, I mean, I uh, there's so much to talk about. I don't even know what to say, but I just love that in that side quest in particular, anytime you defeat an enemy or a new kind of creature, you can scan it with your droid and then it gets added to that game as a unit that you can use in the game. Oh, kind of like Pokemon almost. Yes, it is kind of yeah. like Pokemon. Very cool. Anyway, what is the game about? <laughs> <laughs> I, there's so much to say again. Now, this is always a sign of true love when yeah. we don't know how to begin. Yeah. And again, I mean, this is how I feel about a game that like is riddled with issues. <laughs> like there's yeah. a lot there's a lot of stuff preventing me from loving it. And I, I still really love it. OK, so the game essentially involves I, I don't want to say too much because there is some like cool spoilery stuff uh, going on. But the game essentially involves Cal, who is like really trying to fight against the Empire. He is very much making his presence as a Jedi known to kind of like rub it in the face of the Emperor and Darth Vader and all these people who like are out to get him. And he's been specifically like attacking like the the wealthy mm. in the empire to just like steal their money and use it for the rebellion. He's working with Saw Gerrera, who's Forrest Whitaker's character in the movies. Oh, and whatever. Got it. He's working with Saw Gerrera and Saw is like sending him out on these kind of like almost bounty hunter-esque tasks to go do some stuff. Uh, the, the opening of the game, just like everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Like any everything goes to shit. And the the heist that you're on you're on coruscant like trying to take out the senator uh essentially and like he has he has a bunch of plans and a bunch of like locations of the empire uh it, stored in a map on his yacht his like space yacht so you have to like infiltrate the space yacht and take it out and, and get this information and you know everything goes to shit but you do get the information and what is the information the information is this big map that's covered in red and cal is like Oh my God, they're everywhere. Like I thought that we were going to be able to identify some places where there are empire blockades. We'd be able right. to get around them. We would be able to like surgically strike some of them here and there. There are more than we can fight like that. We don't have the capacity to do this. So you really have Cal in this place of, you know, from the first game where he was kind of just attempting to survive. Literally, it's it's ironic that this is the game called Survivor because the last one is very <laughs> much him being the Jedi survivor. Um, right. The last game was him just like trying to escape, trying to like find his way as a Jedi a little bit. This game is very much like how do you fight back when you literally don't have a shot? You know, that that seems yeah. to be what a lot of the dialogue is pointing at is like every, everyone that you talk to is in a place where they are almost kind of giving up. They're almost like totally accepting the fact that the empire is everywhere and that there's no way that they can possibly win. So why not in the you know short life you have left settle down in a home in the outer rim you know, like start a farm, maybe that maybe stormtroopers show up every once in a while and give you shit. But like, at, at least you're not dying, you know, fighting. That's really fascinating because I feel like the dramatic irony, like, I don't know the, the story of Cal, but if it is like canonical to the movies or to Star Wars as a whole, like, yeah, we know that like we kind of know how the story plays out. Mm -hmm. So there is sort of the sense of it's sort of like um, Red Dead 2, where it's like we know yeah, there's a sense of doom through that whole plot because we know how it ends. Right, right. Um, and I imagine similar with with Cal in this game. Yeah, I think it's notable. And I don't know, you know, when or will this will break bad. But 
it's notable that Cal Kestis isn't in any of the movies and has never been referenced before outside of these video games. You know, right. it's very possible that Cal is just dead at the at, at the point that his story ends. You know, um, things might go wrong for him eventually. But at the moment, he seems to be like the one guy who is a Jedi actively and is like, I really need to prove to myself and to the rest of the galaxy that the Jedi should still exist. And he's trying to bring hope back to people alongside that. They're exploring an era of Star Wars that I really wasn't expecting them to tackle at all. I didn't really look into any of the marketing material for this game. I really just was like Jedi Survivor is the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order and therefore I will play it. Um, <laughs> right. If this was in the marketing, I had no idea. But the game also is going, I would say, even deeper into Uncharted territory in terms of their storytelling specifically, because a lot of it is about exploring the ruins of the High Republic, which is the kind of like the like new era of Star Wars that uh, Lucasfilm and the Walt Disney Company are trying to explore, um, mm. which is when the Jedi were at their peak, like hundreds of years before the prequel, like not the old Republic, but like even before that, it's the high Republic. They're like the shit, you know, it's like the, the Jedi are doing everything the Jedi want to do. The Jedi Council uh, has not gotten so arrogant that it's destroyed itself at any point. It's like everyone is just like cool with the force. Everyone loves the Jedi. <laughs> everything is going great. And you spend a lot of time, at least on the first planet, and I imagine going forward as well, exploring the ruins of the High Republic and exploring this era where the Jedi were like revered and were plentiful specifically, which I think creates a really interesting dynamic for Cal as the last Jedi, uh, as far as he knows, at least. Right. Um, the, the last Jedi kind of wandering around the galaxy, checking out these places where his people were were prevalent and and revered that is that is a cool idea that is one of the cooler ways of using the high republic i know i've i've read some high republic stuff it's it's interesting you know it's it's telling the story of how the high republic fell essentially um but it's all told from that perspective of like you know the jedi in the high republic at the time that it was happening getting to see it through a more historical lens i think is significantly more interesting and again layering on top of that this idea that cal is the last jedi really does like pack a punch yeah so essentially the the plot involves cal trying to find what is a uh supposed to be a second jedi temple on a forgotten planet that the, that the high council during the high republic set up as like a fallback plan for if the jedi were ever to fall here's another jedi temple where we can like train oh. new Padawans and like create a new army of Jedi. Uh, so for Cal, it weirdly actually, now I'm saying this out loud, it reminds me of a lot of Ratchet and Clank. Uh, <laughs> this is this is very similar to Ratchet and Clank. Anyway, for Cal, the he's Star like, Wars. yeah, yes, why not? <laughs> um, Cal is like, this is my chance. This is my chance to restore the Jedi Order and you know set the galaxy in the right direction and make things work out. So that's really all I've seen so far. I mean, I've seen some other stuff that I don't want to say for spoiler reasons, but um, that's really like where I'm at in the story. I think it sets up these interesting stakes. But again, I think what's really cool about it and what's cool about this game is that I think it is doubling down on the Metroidvania side, the Uncharted side and the Dark Souls side all simultaneously. They're really kind of plussing up all three of those influences in a lot of ways. Uncharted specifically in the storytelling, this is Indiana Jones now. This is, you know, we're finding the lost city of right. Atlantis. We're finding El Dorado. We're finding the secret city this secret planet where you know untold riches lie in this case it's 
more Jedi. On top of that, you have this Metroidvania side, which is getting plussed up in a lot of different ways. Notably, I would say in the like traversal and in the level design, which is a little bit of a hard thing to articulate through a podcast. But like, I think just generally speaking, the level design is the best that it's ever been. And the map also, which was a huge sticking point and a real bummer in the first game because it was almost unintelligible, um, has been improved like tremendously in this game. Because whenever you bring the map up now, not only are they marking all the doors that you can go through and where you have been and where you can or cannot go but they also brought the the path the here the hero's path from breath of the wild into this game oh that's awesome so when you're looking at the map you can see exactly where you've been running and where you haven't been yet which allows you to very intuitively when you're like in a dungeon for example or in a temple or something you can very intuitively say i'm fucking lost <laughs> where do i go next yeah. <laughs> open up the map see where you've been and be like oh there's a door that i can go through that's over there and i haven't been there yet so ergo that's next. Uh, and, and you end up going that way. And then the third avenue, the Dark Souls stuff, they've done some really cool shit with this game. I mean, first of all, I, I've already run into a couple optional bosses that are just straight up like Sekiro Dark Souls fights. That is sick. I mean, it's like it's so fun to just have those waiting for me for when I feel ready to take them on. Um, they all are optional so far, at least the ones that I found. Uh, there's one I'll, I'll give away one of them because it's really early on that you'll find it. But the, the first one that I found uh, was the Rancor, which is like the thing that Luke kills. And I think the third movie it's in like Jabba's pit in Jabba's right? palace yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know they, they shove Luke down into a pit and then he crushes it with a door you have to fight one of those and you don't have a door to crush it with so you just have to like fight it one on one and that is just like a big hulking beast that will kill you in one hit uh, so it is very much like I don't know Sekiro fighting the owl it's like if you if you take a hit at all you're just absolutely rocked there's no way you're recovering you need to do the fight perfectly you need to parry every single attack perfectly you need to dodge every attack perfectly you need to use all of the weapons and all the abilities you have at your disposal perfectly to be able to fight the rancor which i did do it took me like 30 tries though it took me a really long time (laughs) i'm playing on the difficulty right above medium um there's oh interesting i think there's seven difficult like there's there's a lot of difficulty modes that says a lot because you usually do either normal or, or easy i I've yeah found in our conversation yes that is usually my my move especially in story-based games like this but knowing that this right. game is putting such a heavy emphasis on the combat i wanted to really feel that this time around and, yeah and i am and that's cool like i think i think it's working for me but it's nice to know also that you know you could bump it down whenever you want totally i think it's interesting i mean this is a larger conversation about difficulty and stuff but i think the reason why you said it took me 30 tries with a big smile on your face and it wasn't a complaint (laughs) was that I think when the focus is the combat and there are optional fights that on a higher difficulty really show all the systems working in unison yes I imagine that's really thrilling it is it's almost like the spiciness of a meal where it's like in my opinion, like when a meal is hot enough that it elevates the flavors that are present versus just being hot for the sake of it, yes. you know, yeah, like yeah. it's there's a, there's an inedible level of spice. Yes. Right. <laughs> it's like, is this just like a pest repellent or is this actually part of the meal? Yes. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I'm so with you. And, and I think that Rancor fight is actually a great example of that be, for all the reasons you brought up, but specifically to dive into like all of the systems working together. There are a lot of systems that you have at your disposal in this game, and you could very easily, I think, settle into just being like, I just have a lightsaber and that's the move. Right. But you also have the force. Like you have the ability to use the force. You could pick things up, you can throw things, you can stop things in their track. If you press both sticks at any given time, if you've built up this meter enough, you can kind of slow time down, which allows you to 
you know, recalibrate or dodge out of the way of something that seems hard to dodge, things like that. But also throughout the course of the first game, Cal got the ability to wield a lightsaber, wield a double bladed lightsaber and wield two lightsabers at once. Um, He like over the course of that game acquired all his abilities. And what I love about this game, especially considering, you know, you and I have been playing Metroid Prime and stuff, um, but just like getting into, I think, Metroidvania is a lot over the past year ish. They keep all of your abilities from the first game. Like you, there's no like you're losing your powers. You need to gain them oh, back interesting. in this yeah. game. So you just start with all that stuff at your disposal, which I think is awesome. So your your solo lightsaber is a very good like all around weapon. Your double bladed lightsaber is great for when there's multiple enemies surrounding you obviously um because you can kind of like whip it around and 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 you know use it to to fend off multiple foes no matter where they are around you and then the the two lightsabers are specifically like i'm gonna beat the shit out of one guy specifically <laughs> like i'm i'm going yeah. to fight this one guy i don't care all about my defense it is all about offense all of these weapons have their own specific skill trees you can upgrade and unlock new moves for it feels very sekiro in that way where you're getting different combat arts um for your different like stances and things like that so going into this Rancor fight was very much like I need, you can only have two of the stances at any given time uh, equipped on you. So you need to pick of the three that you start with. You need to pick two of them. So oh, that's cool. I, I have been sticking with like the main lightsaber because I just think that it's like good for me, somebody who's playing on a kind of harder difficulty to try and learn to be good with like just the most basic thing possible. The thing that is considered the quote unquote all rounder that should be good for all scenarios. Um, I want to get good with that, but then deciding between like, I know I'm about to go into this base. That's just like riddled with battle droids. I'm probably going to want the double bladed lightsaber, or I'm about to go fight the rancor. I'm going to want the two lightsabers specifically to just like wail on that thing in the like four seconds that I have an opportunity to hit it before it does an attack that I need to dodge out of the way of, or like run to the other side of the arena to escape. And, putting all of that stuff together in that fight was wildly rewarding. I just think it's exhilarating, but outside of the combat, I mean, again, the traversal is just great. The puzzle solving stuff is really fun. I've been having a really good time with like the optional kind of side dungeons that you can jump into. The game is, I forgot this about the first one, but the game is so funny also. And and in this one specifically, you're not really fighting the empire a whole lot. Like there are stormtroopers all over the place, but at least on that first planet, the the main enemy force that you're fighting are these raiders that have kind of settled down on the planet and are killing prospectors and stealing the, the materials that they're mining out of the, the planet uh, to sell. These raiders have also stolen all of the battle droids that the old uh, Galactic Republic used to have uh, and oh. used for the Clone Wars. Against so like refurbished. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they wow. took they took all these droids and they just reprogrammed them to fight alongside the raiders. Uh, so you have the like the comedy of the prequels with these droids, <laughs> like these like very the very classic battle droids, and then also kind of like the big hulking B two ones and the droidicas and all these things. They're all just like constantly talking at all times, and it's always so stupid. Like everything they say is so dumb in the best way. <laughs> you know, like there there was one droid that you come up on. It's like part of the story as you're making your way around uh, this specific spot because they're trying to teach you that if you're hanging off the side of a ledge and there's an enemy there, you can you know kind of Assassin's Creed like pull them off the edge. Yeah, there's a droid that just shows up and is like wow what a great view you know and just like talks about how lucky it was to be posted specifically at that spot because it loves the view so much and this is the droid that is the tutorial for you 
killing by dropping it off the ledge, <laughs> which no. I love. I found another uh, stormtrooper just kind of like sitting and admiring a view who is like very clearly precariously set up for you to force push off the edge. Things like that just keep happening over and over again. But all of the like combat barks that all of the enemies have and all of the chatter between these enemies before they've even realized you're there. So fun. They add so much color to the world and they take this thing that I think, you know, th this is a kind of dire time in Star right. Wars lore. They take this time that could be really dark and really kind of dour and add a lot of levity to it that I think makes it more Star Wars for me because I think there is always that like twinge of camp in Star Wars. There's always that yeah. like element of camp. You know, I, I wouldn't call the movies camp, but there's like elements of it in there, you know? Oh yeah, I mean, there, I mean, it all started as an homage to like B-movies totally. and, and Pulp Fiction. So yeah. inherently it's part of the DNA. Yes, and I think acknowledging that like battle droids from the clone wars are hilarious and leaning into that as much as you possibly can really adds to that feeling of being star wars i will say one thing that i haven't seen mentioned anywhere that i just really have to acknowledge is that the soundtrack is unbelievable in this game i'm, I'm a little bit of two minds about it because on one hand like it really feels like they've kind of ripped off john williams which <laughs> is kind of what you want to do for star right. wars you know like it'd, it'd be weird if it wasn't that but they've done a really really good job ripping off john williams <laughs> it like the score is fantastic in this game that's a great point it's like you can't really remove that style of orchestration from star wars without without it feeling like a different series yeah you know and they've tried for some of the spin-off stuff you know like rogue one is like that's got a very like call of duty score to it sure uh, and that's on purpose because that's a war movie you know yeah and that, and that fits the tone of that movie yeah our friend dom wrote a review on esquire for this game and uh he's also like a huge star wars fan so i was curious what he thought of it and um he mentioned that the like framing device at the loop of the game is what you mentioned about kind of uh helping this this settlement out this town and kind of slowly building it and i'm like having Terrytown as like the main loop yeah uh just sounds incredible yeah um and, and i think the thing for me is like i'm just so burnt out on star wars and i know a lot of people feel that way like my whole timeline is variations on the phrase like i'm so sick of star wars but i love jedi survivor <laughs> and i think that's like a testament like i think you know everyone is a little bit even if you're a big Star Wars fan, like everyone I've talked to is like a little bit sick of it. But I think it shows that there's always a place for like a new story in this world if you have like a exciting new idea. Totally. Right? It's like, like it yeah. doesn't sound like anything here is like in, inherently like new, but I just think even just having it not immediately connect to like the Skywalker family is like a step in the right direction. That's always my biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, to be honest, I... I have stopped watching most of the television stuff. Also, like The Mandalorian, I haven't really kept up with. Book of Boba Fett, I didn't watch. Uh, I don't even know if Ahsoka's out or not. Um, but if it is, I, I haven't watched it. The only thing I watched was Andor because that just seemed Which like... Which I hear is wonderful. Yeah, it was yeah. a completely different thing. Like, that doesn't even feel like Star Wars. And, like, when I think of it in my head, I'm not thinking of it as a Star Wars property, which is interesting. But it is it is nice to know that there is, like, still Star Wars stuff that I can get excited about because I do... I, do, yeah. like, I, I want to love Star Wars still, but a lot of it just feels like stuff that I can't can't get into or wasn't made for me anymore i'm not like trying to be jaded or like yeah i know i'm i'm a uh open trek fan so like I, i'm not trying to <laughs> yeah. stir that rivalry but like i want to be excited that's the best phrase for it it's yeah. like i don't want to be sick of something that i used to love yeah i don't want to see the characters on like soup cans at the grocery store i just want like a moment without it so i can actually be excited you know like, <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i the thing too that and again i haven't played jedi survivors so this is just based on what you're sharing with me but like i do think one it's it's very special that there can be a star wars story that even people who are kind of tired of it 
can enjoy. But it also sounds like I think with Andor and Rogue One, like those are clearly like you could take the Star Wars out of it and it would still work from what I know yeah. of Andor. Yeah. This sounds like it is embracing the Star Wars E like tone and vibe and music but it still feels fresh which i think is even harder to do yeah so i, I think that's really cool to hear i think yeah. i think that is uh, that's that's uh right on the money yeah i i mean like the creature design is incredible there's um i i saw there was one character in the game whose name is turgle who's like a kind of frog man who was like oh yeah i've seen him yeah getting <laughs> passed around before the game came out um but i didn't realize this because i had only seen pictures of him but he's voiced by the guy who does the voice of like raz from psychonauts and invaders oh Sim. Um, fun which is a great voice to be coming out of that frogman's face things like that like introducing like new kinds of creatures and new characters that you can kind of like interact with that are both like slapstick and funny but also like intriguing and weird and cool is very very star wars and feels very good to me overall i i just i i really like this game a lot i i feel like i um am coming at this from about a million angles simultaneously that's because i don't even know what to focus on because i like it all so much well there's so many pieces right i mean yeah. there's the star wars side of it there's the uncharted you know it sounds like to like because sometimes when a game is is visibly trying to put all those pieces together it can feel really disjointed and it can feel a little bit like it's trying to like add every game that is seemingly popular yeah but it sounds like it actually fits the mold pretty well here yeah and that's the big difference between one and two experience yeah like right fallen order did not get that balance right between those three elements and jedi survivor really does like they really kind of took a step back asked themselves what worked about the original and what can they improve on in the second one and they've done it i mean things as simple as like now you can fast travel you couldn't fast travel in the first game and it meant you were doubling back a lot and that sucked do you find that they're leaning more into one of those three if we're if we're looking at those three games like the the like pillars of the design do you find it's mostly one of them or is it actually an even mix it's interesting because i think they give them all their time yeah they 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 allow them to exist separately you know um with the exception i would say actually of the metroidvania stuff and the uncharted stuff is a little a little bit like chocolate and peanut butter like they kind of blend every once in a while specifically in the traversal because a lot of the traversal is like using your grappling hook you know or uh climbing along the side of a cliff or a ledge or something or like grabbing onto vines and climbing up and like those kinds of climbing puzzles that are all over those uncharted games that is very much how you're traversing a lot of the world in jedi survivor but when i say that a game is uncharted inspired that that's not really what I'm thinking of as much as I am like the storytelling and the ways in which that the story is being delivered to me as a player. And I think that Jedi Survivor is pulling specifically more from Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy than it is from like the first three, which I think is the right move because it feels, that is the right move. <laughs> it feels a lot more open, which I, I really appreciate. Like there, yeah. it, there is a lot of open space in Jedi Survivor. There are a lot of experiences where you will just like talk to an NPC and they'll be like, hey, I heard there's a weird thing going on down in this tunnel and you can or cannot go check that out if you want to. Whereas I would say the first three Uncharted games are very much more like linear. We're trying to do Indiana Jones. We're just trying to tell you a story Four and Lost Legacy are more open to the player kind of experiencing and and taking in the world however they want. And Jedi Survivor is pulling from that aspect of Uncharted and then yeah. telling that very layered, interesting story on top of it. That's a great point. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of value in the in the structure of the first three games, specifically two. Like, I think that beginning train sequence is still so iconic. Yeah. And I think there's there's value in having like very set scripted set piece moments. Mm. It's interesting. I was talking to my friend about The Last of Us and how like I think you can see Naughty Dog 
get more interested in the player as a part of the story mm. and the later entries. I think like like Last of Us Part One and the first three Uncharted are very much like how cinematic can games be? Yeah. You know, we're drawing influence from these movies. And then Last of Us Two and Uncharted Four and Lost Legacy, they're not like player driven. But you could tell there are like moments that are either more open or that are like considering how the player feels taking an action yeah. or not having a choice. Right. So it's cool that that has now influenced other games. And that's almost becoming the the model of like AAA games in some ways. Yeah. What are you laughing about? No, I was, I was just thinking about uh, The Last of Us 2, which I think I think you're right about. I think there are a lot of instances where that that game is uh, giving players choices and, and asking for feedback in storytelling instead of just telling you how the story is going to be told. But there there is one moment where I remember there's like a bit where there's a sniper shooting at you and you need to you need to like chase them down. And I, I think had a sniper rifle on me at the time and killed them immediately. And the game was like, that's not how the story goes. And then made me re- reload uh, as if it was like Prince of Persia or something. Um, oh man. Which is so bizarre. Anyway, that's kind of a bummer. I feel like yeah. uh, they should have pulled the metal gear solid three in that moment. Yeah. Like, oh, that's how the story ended. If I you guess. know, if you, I mean, it's been a while, so you might not remember, but if you, dear listener, remember that sequence, you know why that has to happen if you're able to kill that person. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I remember, yeah. too. Anyway, Jedi Survivor is really good. I'm going to be playing a lot more of it. I will probably bring it back to the show when I played more of it, because, again, I've, I mean, I've played so much of it already, and I haven't, I, like, I've, I've heard what the MacGuffin is, is, like, as much of the stories I've seen, because I'm so drawn into some of the side stuff, and I, I've been challenging myself a lot, which is fun. Oh, just to answer... Uh, just to finish that last thought that, that you asked me about the dark soul side, I think is interesting because there is like the Sekiro parry meter that's back. There is your own parry meter. You have your own, so you can get like whittled down and then be open to attacks and things like that. But again, you have the ability to use the force back and forth, which is really fun. So you can like, you know, pick up a stormtrooper and bring him to you and just like, you know, lightsaber him in the face uh, and then throw him to the side. Or like if a guy has a shield, you can use the force to take the shield away. Or if, you know, you're fighting precariously on the edge of a ledge, you can just push everybody off, things like that. But I think that the inclusion of the double bladed lightsaber and specifically telling you this is for groups of enemies allows those bits of the combat when there are multiple enemies around you to just kind of like, you know, you're just parrying and you're just hitting a bunch of guys as fast as you can. But it's more interesting when there is one enemy who is very difficult that you need to fight, where you need to like learn their attack pattern. You know, you think they're a boss and they show up again later as a regular enemy. So you need to just like learn how to dispose of them that way. Things like that. That is where the Dark Souls influence comes in. I think in terms of the like level design and enemy placement stuff, that is really, really working for me in this game. Uh, whereas in the first game I found, I found the difficulty curve to be a little bit out of whack every once in a while. Sometimes you would just run into a boss fight that was like, I don't, I don't even know how I was supposed to prepare for this. Like you're you're throwing ideas at me that I haven't even come to terms with this game. I think it has a much better on ramp and specifically much better tutorialization of how to get into a game like that. And I mean, there is a part of me that's like, you could play these games as you're kind of on ramp into FromSoft if you wanted also. But I mean, we've heard from enough people who just jumped into Elden Ring that um, that's true. That's probably the way to do it instead. (laughs) Yeah, I think it depends. I mean, because I think, uh, you know, Elden Ring benefits from being so open that it's harder to get frustrated because there's so much you can do. Right. So there isn't like a path you have to try over and over again. But yeah, I think um, at least probably to prepare for Sekiro. I think if you like are interested in Sekiro, this might be a good one to start with. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. This game is great. Uh, again, I will talk about it more, uh, especially when I get my Razer Wolverine V2 Pro <laughs> with no rumble I also, feature. Uh, 
I'll definitely play it before before uh, Goaty season for sure. But I'll, I'll still probably wait for a sale or for it to come to Game Pass or something. But uh, yeah, it sounds cool. I'm excited to check it out. Yeah. So maybe we can talk about it once I've played it too. The other thing that people were upset about is that it's gigantic. It's a huge save file. Uh, if I, I think mm. it, if you were to get it on Xbox, you wouldn't have to worry about it because I think it's pretty small in the Series S because uh, it's not like downloading a bunch of 4K textures. But I think it took up like a third of the hard drive of my PS5 uh, <laughs> by itself. I had to like delete some stuff off my PS5 for the first time in a while to make that work yeah i don't know about you but for me like you and i are people who own every console at this point and now also a dreamcast um but uh (laughs) i said every i said every single one baby uh for me i will uh, i have found this generation specifically i will play everything on xbox unless it's supposed to be like a graphics showcase in which case i will get it on ps5 that's been my move so far Mm. i don't know that makes sense yeah, I, I think it depends more on genre for me. Mm. For whatever reason, Xbox has become like my retro and indie console. Same kind of with Switch. Like Switch is like indie games and games that would be cool handheld that weren't before. Yeah. And first party games. Yeah. Although now I think the Steam Deck is like kind I feel like the Switch is getting less time because of Steam Deck in, in my household. Uh, but there's still the Nintendo exclusive stuff that I go back for. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Switch for Steam Deck thing is a whole other whole other ball game for me. It's a whole other episode, yeah. Yeah. But it's all Dreamcast these days. It's all Dreamcast all the time. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break. When a new game comes out, I scoff and I turn on my dream. (laughs) More cannon spike for me. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're not kidding. Anyway, let's take a break and we'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Brendan. Hello. Now, I know I said before, and that was canon, that whenever a new game comes out, I, I scoff at it and turn on my Dreamcast. But I have made an exception for my phone. For this week's episode, I've played two mobile games, which I'm Ooh, excited to talk about. Nice. I have I have an ongoing list. I don't think now will be the time, but I have an ongoing list of... Uh, I, I have it saved in my notes as games I won't talk about on the show yet. <laughs> and looking at it now, it's actually all mobile games. Yeah. Uh, but... Always play mobile games. Uh, I'm excited to hear which ones you're bringing to the show. Yeah, so I picked up Pocket City 2, um, which I know you've been playing as well. Yeah. Developed by Code Brew Games, uh, and it is a sequel, of course, to Pocket City, which I played. I don't know if we talked about on the show. I enjoyed it. It was kind of simple. It was basically like a SimCity for mobile type game. Yeah. And I thought it was cool, and then I saw that there was a sequel, and I saw some people talking about it in the Discord saying it was like a pretty huge step up. Yeah. So I played it and I am having a great time. This is one of those games where time passes. Something about city builders. Yeah. Time passes differently. Every time I played this, at least two hours have passed by in what feels like a half hour. <laughs> I don't know if I brought the first one to the show, but I, I remember exactly when I played the first one. And it was when I got laid off from my last job and we were just starting this podcast was like when oh, I was really? getting really into Pocket City. Yeah, it had come out like around that time, I think. It's been a while then. Yeah, it was, it was in 2018 is all I remember. But uh, yeah, sim- similarly, I, I have always been looking for a good city builder on my phone. And unfortunately, uh, Electronic Arts has really dropped the ball on making SimCity work, like just SimCity regularly, because they made like, you know, a free to play nightmare with energy meters and uh, <laughs> microtransactions <laughs> to hell and back. Uh, so yeah, it's telling that the the advertising for the first game, and I think even the second Pocket City are both like, no, ad, like it's yeah. just the game. 
game. There's nothing to buy. You don't have to sign up for a credit card to play this. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's like five bucks, right? It's like yeah, it's it might even be less than that. Yeah, it might um, be three. Yeah, it's uh the, the yeah the first one I think also is is pretty cheap. Um, but love that game just in terms of like putting a city builder on the iPhone and making it work. That was all I really needed. Um, and my favorite thing is that it plays in portrait mode instead of landscape mode. Like yeah. I, I we'll talk about that later. But I really <laughs> I have a hard time especially when I'm like out and doing things, I always want to have a, f- a game on my phone that I can just like play on the subway or something. Um, and I always feel like a dork if I'm playing stuff in landscape mode on my phone while I'm on the subway. I don't know why I just feel, I just feel that way. I, I this is uh, not to dunk on anyone else who's doing that, but for me, I feel uncomfortable playing games in landscape mode when I'm not in the comfort of my own home. I get it. it it's not the natural way to hold a phone for, for mm-hmm. most people, you know, you're going to default to holding. I want people to think I'm reading articles and books <laughs> and bettering myself and learning. <laughs> Not signing up for a credit card for EA. So, yeah, so, not, not so playing Sonic. <laughs> anyway, um, Pocket City 2, I'm, I'm really happy they decided to follow it up. Because like you said, I think the ask for Pocket City was like, can you just make this work on mobile? And they did. Yeah. And it was very simple, very fun. Uh, this game is very much trying to do a lot more. Um, and I think most of it works. I do yeah. think some of it feels a little bit excessive, which I'll get into. It did also take me a while to like get a city to work. So there are three difficulties and like there's easy, there's like harder, and then there's like a nightmare mode. Yeah. And I've been playing on easy and I would say I have reset the timeline and made a new town six times at the very least Mm. you can doom yourself pretty easily without even fully realizing it like very early on basically when the game opens like it kind of uh, generates a map and all that's on the map is like the mayor's residence basically yeah um or the the government capital building for your town then the first thing you have to do is basically build the road build the power plant and then build residential zones so the three like the core of your town are residential zones, industrial zones, and commercial zones. Um, And then you'll need things like, I need a sewage disposal. I need, um, you know, a water tower to provide water. Mm -hmm. Um, It does a pretty good job explaining all that. I have a little bit of trouble following the UI of like how my town is doing. Because like once you get like into the details of the town, it gives you like percentages and like really detailed breakdowns. It's like really impressive how much is going on kind of under the hood of this game but it's it's a lot it took me a long time to to like kind of digest it all and also know how to do it well um i finally settled on banana city Uh, i just go with whatever (laughs) the name is potato city came pretty close but the the reason why that town was doomed was that early on i ran out of money so quickly that i had to take out a loan and that like if you take out a loan in the first hour of the game, just destroy the town. It is doomed. <laughs> uh, it is the beginning of Particio's chapter in Octopath 2 waiting to happen. <laughs> don't even bother. Mm-hmm. I, I also still like don't feel fully confident when I know the number. Like Based on the two things you want to keep track of even more than the zones and, and the stats are like, how much money is the town making a day and how is the population growing? Mm-hmm. Um, those are sort of the two... like main stats of your town and then of course there's like crime and pollution and and so many other things yeah on top of that 
And this is where I think the game might have gone too far. You can make your mayor avatar, which I think is cute. I like it. Yes. And you can drop your mayor into the town and walk around and like see it firsthand, which I honestly love. That's a great idea. That's really fun. And, and it kind of, I don't know if this game is is pushing environmentalist message. I That's what I'm taking away from it. Because whenever I walk around my town, I'm like, this could be so beautiful. And yet is still held back by like the visible pollution in the distance. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of things you eventually unlock research points one of the first things i do is invest in green technology so like i don't have the power plant like right next to the you know (laughs) suburban cul-de-sac just spewing toxins into the air i have like the wind generators the solar generators you can whenever you start a new town you can get like one of three perks the one that gives you like 20 research points right away is by far my favorite. Mm. Uh, we got a four day work week in Banana City. <laughs> we got, uh, you know, so many great progressive systems. I like the fact that the way you can spend your research points is like it, it has it has a goal and something to say about like how a town can be run mm-hmm. sort of like a platonic ideal of like what if we had renewable green energy what if we had you know these systems instead of like what well, you're kind of forced to start with i don't know how much of that is intentional but that's why i kept restarting because i'm like i don't want to settle for less here i don't want to settle for the like mm. you know i don't want to make midgar happen basically yeah. it's really easy <laughs> to make midgar happen and you know i almost even just named my town that just to embrace it just to lean um, in because there was a town where I just committed to whatever was the most optimal path. And I felt really gross. I felt mm. like this town stinks. Everyone, you know, <laughs> as people as, like actually, as people are walking around, they like say stuff and they're like, I hate it here. I don't have a job. Like, why is everything all so bad? But it was making money and the population was growing. That's another thing, too, is like, oh, I'm, there's a lot to talk about here. But going back to walking around as the mayor, I think that's really cool. But there's also like you can visit stores to buy items. This is wild. And it's really impressive that they put that much work into it. Like it's not even like the buildings where it's like distinctly like this is a fire department or the bank. Like that works for me. Mm -hmm. But when you're just making commercial zones and they're all uniquely like a food store or a clothing store and sometimes you actually need those items to complete quests which give you like more money and experience and as you level up the town you'll get to build more stuff that's also how you get quests is by like right talking to random people on the street which i like that too but <laughs> yeah. there's this whole like to know what a store sells you basically have to just like click everything and there's also a like persona relationship meter with all the townspeople, which like sounds really fun, but it's just too much. Like, I don't know who these people are. I don't want to give gifts to them. Like, I I don't want to be tasked with that. I have enough going on already. Um, The fact that there's like another system that like, I feel bad for neglecting kind of overwhelms me. It's funny because this is a point I'm going to bring up in the next game that we're talking about also, but yeah. all of those systems would be great if this was the only game that I was playing. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you right, know, like yeah. if, if the only game that I had on my phone and I didn't have any of the consoles or a Dreamcast and I was just playing Pocket City 2, it'd be very cool that there's this much depth there. But at the, at the moment for me, it's a bit much because the first one I played very casually, like the first one I would kind of dip into 
an out of every once in a while. I would like, you know, once a week I would just like hop in and be like, I'm just going to do this. I don't you know, I'm watching, you know, like a reality show or something like it's it's fun to just kind of like fiddle around with something on your phone. You could do that very easily with the first game in a way that I feel like I can't really with the second game. And that's not really a fault of the game. I think it's cool that all that stuff is there. And again, like there are people who are going to love that depth and get into it. Oh, yeah. I just think the target audience for Pocket City 2 is slightly shifted away from what it was for Pocket City 1. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think um, like all of that stuff is interesting. I just think the the relationship stuff with people just feels a little bit shallow because mm. it's like you're not really like getting to know them better. You're just sort of like advancing another meter. Yeah. And that gives you more stuff, which is cool. But I, I do love the amount of creativity you have over your town. Like mm. I have this whole beach area and I chose the road leading to it to be a boardwalk. Nice. And there's also like eventually you need like actual physical resources so you can make like a lumber mill that like gets wood from the trees nearby and then you can use that to build more advanced stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot. It's it's got a really good loop and it's got really interesting mechanics and you're always kind of looking forward to what you can make next. Yeah. And I, you also are kind of given a motive like I at least this might be kind of player inserted, but I feel like I want to make a town that I'm actually proud of that I would want to live in, mm-hmm. you know, and it's tough because all the industrial zones are like stinky, like just spewing pollution into the air. And I'm wondering if there's a way to maybe make those like green job. Like, why is the only job in this town at one of these factories? Yeah. But uh, I digress. As we advance our technology, perhaps it will be possible. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, Pocket City 2 is on iOS and Android. Uh, the first one was uh, eventually released on PC, and I imagine this one might be as well. I don't know. I don't know how that game would be on PC. I like I like it a lot on mobile, but I, I feel like that's kind of the hook of the game. I, I feel like as soon as you get to PC, it's like, well, then you do have SimCity. Right. I feel like one would feel maybe a little bit like, yeah, it defeats the purpose of the game. Yeah. Two has enough going on that I could actually see the benefit of having a mouse and keyboard, especially with like visiting the stores. Yeah. And even every now and then, like when I'm dragging to like make a road like my finger will slip and i'll have to redo it so like same there is like i think it could and maybe that was the point maybe they were like why don't we we've we've proven we can make a city builder work on mobile let's prove we can make just a really good city builder on its own terms and Mm -hmm. they've done that for sure i think it's like distinct enough from the vibe of SimCity that it's going for a different experience yeah this uh, conversation just reminded me the City Skylines 2 is coming out this year also. Oh, very exciting. Really excited about. And it's coming straight to consoles. I mean, it's going to be on PC, but it's also going to be on consoles, which I'm really excited about because if I recall correctly, the, the gap between City Skylines and then the console edition was like two or three years. So it's nice that they're like developing with that in mind because that'll also help the controls, I imagine. Yeah, totally. I'm really excited about that game. Uh, I want to play that really badly. I see uh, screenshots of it all the time just in Discord and online. Yeah, media. the first one yeah. is awesome. I played it. That was like the the tail end of me having a PC that could run video games that were new. And uh, that was like right when City Skylines came out. I had to run it on like really low settings, but I could play it. And it was majestic. It was it's like <laughs> such a cool game, uh, but it's so prone to slow down and like getting absolutely rocked because there's so many systems and it's simulating so much stuff. So hopefully, you know, some of that stuff is addressed in City Skylines. too. Maybe not. It might just be like a, another graphical powerhouse with a million and one systems. Uh, I was laughing because when you said it, it could only work on very low settings. Did I ever tell you where I first played Oblivion? No. So the my formative time with Oblivion in like the year 2006 was on PC, but it was a burned copy of the game that just said like Oblivion in Sharpie on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it would only work on very low settings, which is like for Oblivion, 
that just means no light. Everyone is yeah. like one, like orcs are just like electric green all the way down. Uh, <laughs> and like you get like a couple wrinkles around the mouth and then the rest is just like completely flat. Um, <laughs> and I loved it. I couldn't stop playing it. Like yeah. that was, that was my introduction. That, that to somehow it. heightens oblivion. Yeah. I, I think so. Maybe when I say like, I'm not one to complain about technical issues, maybe I'm not the one to listen to because <laughs> there's no reason I should have put up with that. Also, the minute I got to the world map, it was like PowerPoint, but it almost added to the adventure because I'm like, I need to commit to getting to this place I haven't yeah. been before. Eventually in 2008, <laughs> I, I got my own 360 and, and had a normal experience with the game. But That's yeah, good. those are, those are the first at least 30 hours was, was very low on an unofficial disc. I love that. So that's how I played Spore also. Spore? Yeah. I just remember like everyone in our high school when Spore came out was handing out flash drives with Spore <laughs> on it. I don't remember why that was, but like like everyone I knew had Spore on a flash drive. There was a lot of Spore hype and then just like silence. Like I don't even remember yeah. disappointment. I just remember like no discussion after. Yeah. Because they released the creature creator, which I loved. I made a bunch of bizarre monsters in that. Mm -hmm. And then the actual game came out and I'm like, I kind of liked the creator better. I just yeah. liked making monsters. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, weird very weird video game but again i i mean i had it on the flash drive and i could only play it on like such low settings that i didn't even really get that far into it but i i do remember the hype cycle for that uh not really panning out yeah i think it i haven't played it in so long i remember being kind of disappointed but i think going back to our conversation about like having you know three games be like your main influence that game kind of being like divided into phases and each game kind of being like like the microbacterial phase is sort of like an asteroid game yeah and then really it kind of becomes like World of Warcraft and then Civilization. Really cool, but they always sort of felt like store brand versions of those mm -hmm. games where it's like, maybe I should just play Civilization. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like my Civilization has a chance and is not this like crab with feet for legs. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, oh, you built a thing that can't use computers. Sorry, this is where it yeah. stops for you. <laughs> yeah, seeing what I created actually try to digest food was too much. I'm like, I don't want to, don't make me watch this. <laughs> what is this? This is not suitable for work. Sorry, E for everyone? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Will. <laughs> nice try, Will. Um, What's the other game, Stephen? The other game... <laughs> That's on your phone. Uh, hot potato. The other game is uh, <laughs> Honkai Star Rail, which is the new game from the creators of Genshin Impact. Yeah. Uh, and you had been playing this. You said you got the new game from the Genshin Impact team. And uh, I was really curious about it because I've never really connected too much to Genshin Impact. Like I played it briefly a couple years ago and like kind of saw why it's popular, mm -hmm. but didn't really... It didn't really become like a go-to game for me. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. But I was curious to see like what else, because this is the kind of thing where like the, Genshin is so huge that even if I don't have an interest in it, I do kind of want to see what's up. Just yeah. To have, like, this is the thing you and I do every once in a while, right? Yeah. We had our whole right. Minecraft episode. I talk about Fortnite every year usually. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, good to keep abreast of the biggest game that exists whenever the biggest game does exist. Yeah. Even if it's not something that I personally love, like I'm going to check it out. Yeah. So I guess the distinction is Honkai Star Rail is essentially a dungeon crawler similar gotcha mechanics to Genshin so like it has I guess you know starting with the caveat of like it has the same sort of gotcha stuff where like yeah you are getting an in-game currency that you use to basically get a random group of like power-ups and or characters 
some characters are better than others and you can also spend real money to do that and Genshin has been wildly successful with that business model. I yeah. looked it up recently. How much money do you think they make when they release a new character? When they release a new character? When a new character drops that day, how much money do you think <laughs> they make? I don't think I want to know. I'm sure it's, oh my God. Are, are $12 we, million. Dollars. $12 million day of? On average, yeah, day wow. of. Oh my God. The game makes six million dollars just regularly yeah. every day. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's responsible for billions of dollars of profit. I've I've seen this stat um, because Apple famously takes thirty percent from every single transaction that happens in the App Store. Even if you're like in an app and you're buying stuff like through the app with an in-app purchase, uh, Apple's getting thirty percent of that money. And I've seen that Genshin Impact is responsible for at least one billion dollars of profit. Yeah. Just from that 30%. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I'm not saying that to, like, villainize the game. Like, I mean, this is sort of what a lot of games are going for. I do think, like, if you're someone who has any kind of gambling addiction or issues, like, maybe just avoid this entirely. Because I just think it's, yeah. like, it's, it's one of those things where part of me wants to say it's not that bad. But, like, that's very subjective. Like, the fact that this game is making so much money is kind of alarming to me. <laughs> Like, on one hand, it's because the game is fun. Like, I've played enough Genshin to know, like, this isn't just, like, money laundering. This is a good game that, like, effort goes into. Yeah, totally. But it's still filled with a lot of questionable, like, monetization practices. Yeah, exactly. And the same for this game. Although this seems, to, from reviews I've read from people who are, like, very into Genshin, this seems to be a little bit more user-friendly in the fact that the characters you just get, like, in the game, you can beat the whole game with. Whereas with Genshin, oh, cool. from what I've from what I know, there's eventually a point where if you're not spending money, you kind of hit a wall. Oh, interesting. And the main difference between these two games, uh, Honkai Star Rail is a dungeon crawler with turn-based combat, and Genshin Impact is very much going for an open-world RPG. Sort of like Breath of the Wild, but more combat-focused, I would say. Yeah, totally. That's a great way of putting it. Um, so I played the first like few hours of Honkai Star Rail, and... I'm having a great time with it. I'm a little scared to like fully embrace it. Yeah. Um, for, for the reasons I just brought up. And also like, you know, I, I have some issues with, with other parts of the game. Like some of the character design rubs me the wrong way. Some characters I love, I think like look great. Yeah. I can, s <laughs> it's very clear Fire Emblem Engage was going after this art style, mm -hmm. but like didn't quite have the same level of finesse. Cause seeing these characters like in their animated special moves, like drinking a cup of tea, while an orbital satellite just shoots a laser at the enemy. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. It's thrilling to watch. Uh, and it's a really beautiful game. Like the animation, uh, even just the opening menu, seeing this like train in space is so cool. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool conceit. I played sort of the mandatory tutorial part of the game, which essentially involves like you play as these two characters who are like, hmm, I might be the villain, like for 20 minutes. Right. Uh, and you kind of learn the very basic, like how to move, how to interact with things, sort of how combat works with them. And then it leads you into choosing uh, your avatar. And then once you choose your main character, you're then thrust into a new scenario where you meet two characters, one of which is named March 7th. Which like it's like I didn't, one of my favorite names in all of fiction. Yeah, I didn't think we could one up. I'm Clan and this is Fran from Fire Emblem Engage. <laughs> yeah, but here comes March seventh, who honestly kind of steals the show. I yeah. I was so ready to not enjoy being in the same party as March seventh, <laughs> and I've fully turned around. Me too. The Ides of Me March too. were a hoax. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're all in. So. 
I was thinking a lot about Fantasian while playing it, where um, that was a Mistwalk game that came out a couple years ago, Apple Arcade exclusive. I hope it gets released elsewhere. I think it is a really cool game with some big issues, but I think like what I loved about playing Fantasian was seeing, you know, going back to Pocket City, like what is like a Final Fantasy style RPG look like made with mobile and tablets in mind? Mm. Um, and so much of the battle system was based around like touch controls and and it was really fun and smooth to play and felt really unique, even though it was kind of using very traditional Final Fantasy systems. Yeah, this kind of feels similar. It's not using touch controls the same way, but I do think it's like a really streamlined approach at almost sort of an SMT persona style combat it's sort of all about like elemental weaknesses to break an enemy's guard and then kind of do your fancy all-out attack yeah but it's like very simplified the more strategic and advanced part of the game comes into how you build your characters and that's also where i think there's some monetization you know speed bumps of like yeah you know there's so many different things to level up and it's not clear like how often you're going to get them, how much money do I have to pay for all this? Um, so that's like, that makes me less enthusiastic about it. But while I'm actually just playing the game and not uh, swimming through weird menus about events that, that are happening, mm-hmm. I'm having a great time. And I think like the seeing what every character's special move is and the simplicity of it, I think is really the biggest selling point. And you mentioned this with Pocket City where it's like Pocket City 2 is maybe a little too much for the role you wanted to have in your day. Yeah. Like just like a simple game you have on your phone. I kind of felt that way with Genshin where I was playing it on iPad and I'm like, this feels more like something I would play on a console with, with, you know, sitting down and committing to this time. Yeah. This feels more made with mobile in mind. Like it feels more like a game you can kind of check in with and like do a dungeon or two and then kind of move on. And I actually really appreciate that focus. Mm. Yeah. I guess to take a step back for me and sure, Genshin, yeah. I, I started playing Genshin on PS4 initially uh, because it was released on PS4. And I, I thought that's a cool idea. I, I want to check this out. I'm, I'm always really interested in free to play games launching on consoles like that. So that coming out and being uh, called a thing that was inspired by Breath of the Wild so soon after Breath of the Wild was like interesting to me. Yeah. And very quickly ran into what you were just talking about, which is like there are so many systems at play and there it is so obvious where they're going to hit you with the monetization wall that I, at a certain point I just like really couldn't do it anymore and put the game down. Eventually picked it up again, like a year or two later on mobile because the game really seemed like it was being made for mobile. They announced forever ago and I will never forgive them for this. That it was supposed to come out on switch <laughs> and it just didn't, they just never did that. Oh really? Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, which really bums me out because I would love to play this game on Switch, honestly. Yeah, it feels like perfect. I think if I had it on Switch, I would feel a little bit more compelled to play it because I have have a hard time, and I think this is maybe just like the age that we are, but I have have a hard time getting into games that I have to play landscape on my phone using touch controls to move and look around at the same time. Like the the on-screen analog stick idea, it's just never going to feel as good as having buttons to me. But I did end up playing like a pretty significant amount of Genshin Impact because I wanted to bring it to the show. I don't even remember if I did or not, but I wanted to bring it to the show for a segment as like, hey, here's where Genshin's at now. They've released a bunch of expansions. Like the game is like really in full swing. It's bringing in, you know, $12 million anytime they release a new character. Like it just seemed like (laughs) it seemed like Genshin was at this place where it had kind of like matured into the game it wanted to be like for real. Yeah, Um, right. And I played it for like a week or two in the lead up to that. um, And had a pretty good time with it, but again, just like felt the trappings of like, this game is going to really want me to spend money soon over and over again. And that's really where I push back on this kind of game is like, 
you can very easily play the game as a free to play player for a long period of time. But the game is constantly pressuring you to not do that, unfortunately. Yeah. Whereas even a game like Marvel Snap, which, you know, has its fair share of microtransactions and kind of monetization woes back and forth. The game is not constantly pressuring you to spend money, thankfully. You know, like it ha- it has an area where you can spend money if you want to, but it's actually pretty easy to play that game as a free-to-play player and like get most of the cards and like at least have viable decks that are competitive in most matchups um, yeah. just by playing for free, which is nice. That having been said, you know, coming into Honkai Star Rail, knowing that about Genshin Impact, I was like, I'm going to experience this game at arm's length. I'm going to come into this game thinking about it from the perspective of a thing I'm checking out for the show and not a thing that I will probably like continue playing, which I think is very healthy for me. I think that's a good that was a good move for me. The second thing is that my entire opinion of this game is sponsored by NyQuil because I (laughs) was like I had like a really bad cough and a cold um, when I was playing this game. And every night I decided to check this game out right after I had taken NyQuil uh, and before I went to sleep and I would play for like an hour waiting for the NyQuil to kick in. And you and I were talking about the game. <laughs> this is so stupid. You and I were talking about the game like a couple days ago and I, I described it as having uh, like proper noun syndrome where like it's just throwing a lot of ideas at you and a lot of words that they're not explaining or defining or there's like a plot that I didn't really grasp or anything. I think that was just the NyQuil <laughs> in retrospect because now I'm further into the game and I like I totally understand what's happening and they are explaining everything. There's a whole dictionary. There's literally a section of the menu that's called thesaurus that allows you to understand all this stuff that's happening here's the thing one i can't think of a better game to play while taking nyquil this is <laughs> this you might be the target audience for this game <laughs> i was like, when i was sick now I'm healthy. i think being like a little bit sick is the best way to play this game <laughs> um but <laughs> that's not an insult truly like there and that's kind of like i think i have a clear place in my schedule for this game that i do something like genshin where genshin is like more almost like xenoblade level of like worlds and exploration and combat right whereas this is like just do a dungeon with march 7th and then maybe you'll get like a weird text and then move on with your life (laughs) yeah but i don't i don't think that was fully the nyquil's fault because you you said that like oh this is a lot of proper nouns and i not not in response to you but i just like i hear that a lot as a as a point of feedback on things and i've never really understood it because i'm like if you're excited to build the world like throw it all at me like i'm i'm, I'm open to that i now know my limit i <laughs> i now know like <laughs> the game is really kind of overwhelming I, I just sort of tuned it out at a certain point in in the opening hours i think i'm a little bit more interested now because there's this whole what i do find kind of interesting is like it is sort of brain punk, to be honest, where there's like <laughs> these items you can equip that seem to be memories. Like they're they've sort of like digitized light cones, light cones is what they're called. Uh, I can't wait to spend five dollars for some. Uh, yeah. But anyway, light cones uh, and they kind of have like almost a like comic book covers to them. Like mm-hmm. They're really cool visually and they give like different kinds of buffs for characters. So that's where you can really be creative with like how you level your character and every character is tied to both a role and an element, which I think is also cool. It's, it's simple and it's, it's, it's intuitive stuff. There's like, you know, fire, lightning, ice, light, dark, but I think adding the role to it too, you know, you have a party for, and it, it kind of helps knowing like, okay, like I know these familiar archetypes. I know sort of what kind of party to build. Yeah. So right now I have like the, the two characters you start with. I forgot the, the guy's name. 
but like the sword the sword fighter yeah i'm mixing him up he has a very similar name to somebody in jedi survivor so i I, I actually don't remember (laughs) he's cool i i uh and what's also kind of fun is sort of like the pawns in dragon's dogma you can choose one of your characters to kind of be like on the ready to help someone else Mm -hmm. um and the more they do that you'll get like items in return so there's sort of like a like idle game happening in the background, yeah. with like whoever you choose to be that. So I think it's really fun. I mean, I kind of wish there wasn't all this like baggage with it. Cause I, I, I do think like on its own merit, it's like a lot of fun. It's a really interesting and simple take on established turn-based combat. It feels like kind of fresh and exciting and you know, I'm not really there for the story at all, but I do enjoy like seeing more stuff and meeting new characters. I have a question for you. Yeah. How far are you? Like what, what's the last thing that happened? The last thing that happened for me, and maybe I'm not fully out of the tutorial now that I say it out loud, but the last thing that happened for me was I met a very strange girl who is embodying a bunch of different mannequins. Okay, I know exactly where you are. And she (laughs) brought me into a, like parallel world that i think is sort of the like roguelike yes part of the game yeah yeah that that is where i got to on my second nyquil trip uh, <laughs> into honkai star rail um I've, I've i've actually now that i'm healthy i played honkai star rail a bit more to like just try and experience the game like as a person who wasn't coughing all the time and I'm much further past that now and I'm at what I think is actually the loop of the game because for that opening like couple hours I I feel like the tutorial goes on for way too long because I think it gives you a skewed idea of what the game actually is also um, sure. it feels weirdly like Tales of Arise in a certain way uh, in terms of the story that they're trying mm-hmm. to tell at least because just conceptually and I won't get too into it because again there's like just so much complexity here in a lot of ways but essentially you are on this train the honkai star rail or the star rail or whatever uh you're on this train that goes on this set loop like throughout i think hundreds of years uh like it takes hundreds of years for it to like you know return to the same place over and over again and you join this group of people who are like almost religiously following the train and and stopping uh along uh, along at every single stop to try and like solve a problem at each planet that it stops at because every single time the train stops that means there's something wrong at the planet that it stopped at Mm. and the train won't leave until you figure out what that is so i'm at the first planet that you stop at and it immediately feels like it's doing a Tales of Arise thing where it's just like throwing you into it almost. It feels a little bit like Star Trek. Actually, now that I think about it, it's kind of like a next generation away team in a way where like you, sure. you and your party kind of have to go down to the surface of this planet, diagnose what's wrong. But in doing so, they're just throwing you into this like entire political strife that you really have no context for and don't have a side in yet. And you need to kind of figure out like, OK, who are the good guys here? Who are the bad guys here? What is my place in all of this? What's actually wrong on this planet? What do I need to solve? how do i need to do that which i think is a cool premise especially for a game that is going to be a live service that is probably going to go on forever the idea that they could just keep throwing planets on the star rail voyage is it's like a really smart way to build a game from the ground up that you're going to be constantly adding stuff to but on top of that i've been really surprised in this first area how huge it is already like when you land on that first planet and you make your way through like the opening story and then get to like the hub the hub is a whole fucking city like it's a whole place with people that you can talk to every npc has dialogue there are stores you can visit they tell you like go to the movie theater watch shit like there's a lot of stuff (laughs) going on in that place and i can't imagine how many more planets there are that are this built out i'm really impressed by it and 
it was at that point that I was like, oh man, they got their hooks in me a little bit. Like I, I'm going to keep playing this game just to see what the other planets look like. I've heard that you can beat the story pretty quickly though also. And maybe that yeah. means that there's like not a lot available yet, but there probably will be later. Kind of like Engine Impact where there was like the first big open zone and that was like it. And they had a story to tell there. And then, you know, six to eight months later, they released a second whole zone that had its own story and a bunch of characters and things like that. I imagine that's the, that's going to be the structure for this thing. Yeah, from what little I know, it seems like the main story can just be played like completely for free without engaging in any of the other stuff. Yeah. But the the roguelike parallel reality thing, that's where I think you might need to find stronger, better mm-hmm. characters or like level up more. Yeah. But I do think that's that's kind of a better move to sort of have those like distinguished ways to play it. Yeah. That way you're not like always nervous. Like when am I going to get asked for $5 when I just want to keep playing? Yeah. Right. But I mean, it's like, it, it's sort of reassuring to play this. I'm like on, on one hand, I don't want to condone some of the more questionable practices of, of these games, but like I can see why they're popular. Like I, I'm really yeah. enjoying this game and I will probably keep playing it too, you know, and I'm not against for myself eventually paying for something, but like I want to see how far I can play without paying anything. Yeah. My plan. Is to pay zero dollars the whole time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I will say you are you are before the point where the combat actually gets difficult, also, which I, I think just to highlight that the combat is awesome in this game like the, yeah, co- the combat it's so good it's it's not even just like the design of it because the design i think is really great as you mentioned all of the characters have like a what's called a break meter which if you continue to hit them with the element that they're weak against then eventually they will break and then they'll take a lot of damage um but on top of that, it's so like based on just the idea of spectacle, like they just want everything to look so cool all the time. But what I found is that the further into the game I got, the more they were actually demanding that I like really learn and consider my party composition, which by that point I had a bunch of characters because, you know, you have the ones that you start with, uh, as you mentioned, but they also give you enough resources to like do a bunch of gotcha pulls to get a bunch of characters as well. Yeah, I think I had like four or five other characters in addition to the three you start. Yeah. With. So you have like a wide breadth of people to choose from and you're going to like have to do that. You're going to like have to level them up. You're going to have to figure out how to uh, upgrade light cones and levels and also the Eidolon meter. And, you know, there's, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. there's like 15 <laughs> different things. The thing is, and, and this is where I really start to push back is like, there are like five or six different ways that you need to level up each character. And on top of that, all of those different methodologies require currencies that you can buy, right? Like you, you have to pay for everything hypothetically if you want to like level up everybody to be the same level which i think is kind of the problem because a game that is built from the ground up to have a combat system where it's all about type matchups means you need to always have a character who is like ready to go for that type matchup and if you're focusing on the four characters that you think are like the coolest and like the most as people (laughs) then maybe you're not really preparing yourself for the boss fight that's going to come at the end of the dungeon or something which i think is it's a little bit of a turn from where Genshin Impact was at, where like because it was an action combat game and there was a lot of, you know, kind of there was a lot of I'm, I'm not going to say skill involved, but like you did need to know what you were doing. And there were ways to like avoid attacks and get out of the way. You know, um, it yeah. wasn't solely based on what level is your character at uh, right. in, in a way that I think this is because it's very much forcing you into combat scenarios the way most turn based RPGs do. Right. You're always going to run into a boss that you're not prepared for. But not only might you not be prepared for it, but you might also not have the currency that you need to make that happen and not know where to get the currency that you need to make that happen, which I think 
think could end up being the point that I stop playing the game eventually. Like if I get to a boss where it's like, yeah, you need, you know, X element and you need, you know, the person who has the fire element to be leveled up to level 15 or 20 or something. And I'm like, I actually just don't have a way to do that. That'll be the point where I probably bounce. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I definitely want to see at least up to the point you just mentioned. But yeah, I I, all that stuff makes me nervous (laughs) as I'm playing it, which should be like that should be the fun planning phase. And it still kind of is, but it it has all those like undercurrents of pressure. That's the thing. Yeah, it's like I I am enjoying building my characters out. Like I am enjoying deciding which of the light cones I'm going to equip onto which (laughs) character Um, because there is like fun strategy there. And all the light cones have like different abilities that are like, hey, if you can break an enemy's break meter then you'll have you know plus 10 percent attack power for the next two turns things like that like that stuff is cool and fun and i like i like customizing my my party like that but just knowing that all of this stuff is monetized is a little bit wild i will say though kind of outside of the monetization stuff i i am interested in genshin and this game and there's also another game that they made called third impact which i've never played before right but um it's interesting to see mihoyo which i think is the name of the company i mean they've like dominated and like figured figured out a live service game and a way to make a live service game that is a single player game, which I think is really interesting because I feel like at least most of the live service games I know of that are continuing on and are still relevant and interesting are all multiplayer, right? You have like Apex Legends and Fortnite and even Destiny 2 to a certain extent. I mean, it's more multiplayer than it is single player. Like, yes, they have a campaign, but you're supposed to be playing with other people. It's interesting that I think people have embraced Genshin and Honkai Star Rail the way they have considering this is the kind of game that generally speaking would be $60 and wouldn't have any in-game currency or like microtransactions and stuff. Yeah. It feels like a new standard for a free to play game, which is, I think maybe why I'm like, maybe I'll give five bucks eventually. Cause it just feels like so beyond what I'm used to on a production level. Yeah. But they also don't need my money. So I guess the other thing, right. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing just fine. There's a reason why it looks as good as it does. Yeah. But it's a huge like the, the thing about Genshin is like such a huge risk to make that game right to make such a huge open free to play game with that production budget. But knowing full well that if they did that and released it and monetized it to hell and back, then they would make their money back. And then some, you know, like that that game is obviously making money hand over fist. But I think just the the leap that you need to take to even greenlight that game in the first place is pretty wild. Um, yeah. But it it, as you said, has like set this new kind of precedent for what free-to-play games can be on a mobile phone and now genshin impact is like this extremely high bar that everything needs to clear and not everything can uh and not everything should because i have to imagine it's like again a huge risk to to make that kind of stuff absolutely but yeah that's that's all i have to say about honkai star rail for now i'm excited to get further in and maybe we'll bring it up if we like find that we get past a certain point but um i'll I'll keep playing it for now and and a a cautious recommendation yeah i want to get to the second planet uh if there is if there is one available to me uh and see what that's all about treasure planet with march 7th yeah coming out march 7th you know it's it's funny that you bring up treasure planet because that is um the game that i would most compare to uh, Jedi Survivor, like Je- oh, really? yeah, Jedi Survivor's <laughs> plot reminds me a lot of Treasure Planet, which is a, a I mean, movie that I will sold. always go to bat for. I love Treasure Planet. We're in an era where like it is the move to like say you've always liked that era of Disney, like Atlantis, <laughs> Treasure Planet. Even even saying Emperor's New Groove is your favorite is like last year. You know, it's like no, it's all about Treasure Planet. It's Treasure now, Planet. Baby. It's Atlantis. It's Brother Bear. You know. <laughs> 
What a, what an interesting era of Disney. Yeah. They had Lilo and Stitch in there, which was obviously a huge hit. But uh, oh yeah, that was Treasure great. Planet and Atlantis are the two big like what happened here movies. But I love Treasure <laughs> Planet. I just I I really like I watched it recently and I loved it still. I think the movie's great. Yeah. Have you ever seen the sequel to Brave Little Toaster where they go to Mars? Yeah, I sure have. That's maybe what I would compare Honkai Star Rail to, actually, if I had to choose. <laughs> the Brave Little movie. Toaster goes to Mars, yeah. Yeah, that might be the closest matchup. Yeah. All right. On that note, want to take a break and move on? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Bye-bye. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Oi. That's, that's the word they shout in. Uh, yeah, here. you're right. We are back in the show. Uh, I've, I have a game I want to talk to you about that I didn't know anything about and um, then realized that the besties had made an episode about it and um, it's becoming a hit. And rightfully, it's Mr. Sun's Hatbox, uh, which is a game that launched recently on Steam and also on Switch. I'm playing it on Switch um, as I want to do. Mr. Sun's Hatbox is notable. The reason I picked it up in the first place is because it's by one of my favorite developers, Kenny Sun, uh, who I have brought up on this show more than once way back in 2018. I brought Kenny Sun up because he is the developer behind Twinfold, which I think is one of oh, yeah. like my favorite ever mobile games. Um, it's a great. That was mix. on your goatee list that year, I think. It was, yeah. yeah. It was, it's it's an incredible mix of uh, threes, if you like threes, and essentially like a roguelike. Uh, so it's kind of like a puzzle roguelike that I just like couldn't stop playing for about a year. I just like became completely obsessed with Twinfold, and then. Two years ago, I brought another Kenny Sun game to my goatee list in the form of Tender Creature Comforts. Uh, oh, which yeah, that game was awesome. Was another incredible, cool game. It was like a narrative adventure that takes place via a fake clone of uh, Tinder, the dating app. But you're only dating monsters and you have to like choose who you're dating and how to date them and go on dates with them and schedule them. And it's like it's a it's a lot. It's a, it's asking for a lot. It's a big time investment, but is, uh, I think, one of the most interesting games I played that year. It's eerily close to how like the monsters obviously are surreal and like, you know, adding an element of, of fantasy and sci fi to the adventure. But otherwise, it's like a crushingly realistic experience yeah <laughs> where, like people will like you'll message somebody and then hear back like three days later and then you know like you'll be left wondering what happened or yeah. like you know the person who is messaging you you don't want to message back like yes exactly it's all any experience you could have on a dating app it's in that game yeah it's uh really really great and uh kenny tweeted recently that he's been working on this game mr sun's hat box for the past four years and it's like wow finally ready for showtime uh, and now it is out. And Mr. Sun's Hatbox is what is described as a slapstick roguelike, um, <laughs> which has a lot of elements of like a Spelunky, but also elements of Metal Gear Solid 5, which I think is <laughs> incredible. Cool. So the conceit of the game, the, the main plot of the game, if there really is one, is uh, there's a guy named Mr. Sun and he has a store called The Hatbox where he sells hats and he has a shipment of hats that he's getting delivered um, that gets stolen from him. And suddenly a, a like espionage resistance group shows up and is like, Mr. Sun, we heard your package was stolen. We're going to set up shop in your basement and we're going to get this package back for you. And you suddenly install uh, a jail and a staffing room and a big like almost bat cave uh, of like mission logs and like a big storage facility in the basement underneath Mr. Sun's hat box. And what you need to do is go to this like mission hub scan the world for missions and usually they'll be like kidnap this person 
or neutralize this person or uh, steal this item from this level. And then you have to pick from your collection of characters that you have at your disposal one of the characters what hat are they going to wear and what weapon are they going to go into the level with (laughs) all of these things are things that you will acquire when you're in the level because when you start a level you're just kind of thrust into this uh 2d plane and it's this like big room it will always be this big room that's filled with enemies who all have different kinds of hats and different kinds of weapons and if you can jump on somebody's hat the hat will jump off or will pop off their head and if you can jump on them without wearing a hat they'll be like knocked out kind of like a spy mission um and very much in the in the style of metal gear solid 5 you can then use uh, what I think is called the, the Fulton balloon in Metal Gear Solid 5. You can use the Fulton lift to strap a balloon to this person and launch them into the air and kidnap them and steal them and put them in your <laughs> jail. Um, you can also do that to any weapon or any hat that you find as well. Uh, so if you find like a hard hat, for example, that takes two hits to pop off the top of somebody's head and you're like, I want to wear that in a future mission, you can then strap the Fulton balloon to that hard hat. You can only go into missions with a certain amount of Fulton balloons. You have to be very decisive about like who you're kidnapping, what you're taking. Mm. You need to make sure that like if your job is to kidnap a certain person in this mission that you need to not use all your Fulton balloons uh, stealing all the things that you want and instead make sure that you reserve one for the actual mission itself. Um, sometimes missions are just raids where you just need to go into a place and like take out everybody. You just need to kill everybody. If somebody's knocked out, also you can press uh, the right trigger and you'll just like snap their neck while they're on the ground. The big thing about this game, though, that's worth noting, uh, you know, outside of the slapstick humor of just like jumping on somebody's head and everybody's wearing these fun hats that do different things and everybody has these weird weapons is that everybody also has what are called quirks which are in the beginning of the game always pretty much negative like they're always horrible quirks that these people have things like they'll pass out if they snap somebody's neck so if you go and you like knock somebody out and then you snap their neck your character will also just lie on the ground completely defenseless so like if there's a bunch of enemies coming after you and you snap somebody's neck you're just on the ground you're absolutely gonna die (laughs) other characters you know one of them is like squeamish which means they won't snap necks at all which means they just like won't attack uh there are other characters who like can only shoot in the direction that they're facing and can't like aim their gun anywhere except directly forwards i saw another (laughs) i I was using another character recently who i didn't realize had this quirk but they have the trigger finger which means that if they see an enemy they will shoot them no matter what (laughs) which like if you're doing a sneaking mission is obviously shit which is exactly what happened to me and that person raised the alarm and immediately died so what's happening in this game is you're constantly in this cycle of like going into missions knocking out enemies kidnapping them you then need to spend money on a brainwashing machine in your prison so you can then brainwash them so they'll then do missions for you also and anytime you take somebody into a mission they also get experience and if they get enough experience they'll start to lose those negative quirks and maybe start to gain positive quirks or you can raise their like maximum hp and things like that so they'll, they'll always kind of have like a randomness in terms of how they're leveling up but that said it's also very easily for that person to die in any mission any mission can go wrong very easily and you can die into the breach where you'll like lose someone you put a lot of progress into yes which is i think where the like really strong roguelike elements come in you know uh, most of the game i would consider to be a roguelite where it's like yes you are uh carrying over progress you are constantly trying to make your way to the end of the game quote unquote um but 
any mission in particular is very roguelike where like you can die and lose that person and then have to start from scratch and build up a new person entirely. So, I mean, I had that happen once where there was one character that I was like really invested in. I had uh, grown them out of all of their negative quirks. I had a couple good ones and they had like six or seven HP and I took them into a mission that the difficulty thing, because it tells you how difficult each mission was, was like a little bit above moderately difficult. And I was like, I could probably do it. This person is fine. I could not do it. That person was not fine. They got absolutely rocked. And the, the reason they got rocked was I was wearing a hat that was a turret. And the way the turret works is if uh, you jump on the turret, it shoots forwards. So if you have the hat on the ground and you jump on it, you can use it like as a gun with infinite ammo, essentially. But also if you're wearing it and you jump and you boop the ceiling, the gun will fire. And I jumped, booped the ceiling and the gun fired immediately into a giant pile of explosive barrels, which blew my guy to kingdom come immediately. <laughs> so I died like within seconds of that mission. Um, oh my God. And uh, that's where the fun of this game is. And also the frustration of the game is, I think it's like both. I, I think it's not going to be for some people who are going to be very frustrated by, you know, investing all that time into a character and having them die in the stupidest way possible. But it's also very funny to invest all that time into a character and have them die in the stupidest way possible. Yeah. Well, that's where I guess the slapstick comes into the pitch of it. Cause yep. I think, I think one of the central challenges for making a fun roguelike is how to process failure. Like yeah. what is the losing state mean? So in like a game like Spelunky, there is that humor because usually when you die, it's so over the top. Yeah. But that game is really asking you to like learn as a player entirely. Like you're not <laughs> getting any, like in, in Spelunky 2, you get new characters. But that's mostly aesthetic. Like you're not like getting you're just having to get better as a player yeah and whereas hades like there's always new story and new dialogue and you are unlocking things that will make a run easier to do so i think having like a little bit of both but also like embracing how funny it can be to like completely eat shit yeah it sounds genius i it's love that really 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 funny it's really yeah. it's really good um and i i think where this kind of deviates from a more spelunky-esque take on this is that every single mission is randomly generated also so whereas spelunky every single time you start that game it's it's randomly generating the temple that you're going through and it's you know randomly generating all of the levels that you're making your way through there are similar situations that you will get into frequently right, right? that's what that that's what you're learning when you're playing Splunk. You're learning about enemies. You're learning about items. You're learning about how all of these things and all of these systems interact with one another. Mr. Sun's hat box is also randomly generating everything, but that also amounts to it randomly generating like maybe sometimes an explosive barrel will be in a place that you don't expect or maybe everybody is wearing a hat that is like slightly more difficult than it should be like snakes for example that will bite you and poison you and kill you immediately things like that like there there are many ways in which the game i think can just like completely ruin your day immediately in ways that you would have never expected or anticipated or could learn which i think is fun i think it's fun that the game is essentially a big sandbox where anything can happen i think if you're going to play this game you have to have that and acknowledge that in the back of your head immediately sure. before you get into it, because otherwise you will have a frustrating time trying to learn it like Splunky or a Hades and realize like maybe that's not entirely possible because there are so many interactions and things that you just can't account for that you just need to kind of give yourself over to the fact that slapstick is before roguelike in the pitch of this game. <laughs> you sort of answer this because you're saying it's not, you know, you kind of have to go in with a certain expectation. But do you find that it's like predominantly probability or do you find that you are like learning at all as you do more and more runs? no i think i think you're i think you do get better at making your way around the game it, yeah. it actually starts out pretty easy and gets more difficult as you get into it which is smart um like the beginning of the game you know everybody 
pretty much doesn't pose a threat to you and you will very frequently have the ability to just like jump above somebody and then jump down on them and snap their neck or fault and balloon them into your prison. Um, <laughs> but the further into the game you get, the more interactions that are available and the more kinds of enemies that they throw at you um, is where it gets more difficult. But also I, I think the bigger thing is like you're putting yourself in situations to succeed more so, right? You're taking on a bunch of missions that are not progressing the story specifically so you can pick up certain items so you can take them into the mission where you will progress the story. Things like that, like where you are saying, OK, I know I, I've gone into this mission and I've eaten shit and I know what I need to do. I need to steal this item uh, and I know how I need to steal this item. But I know that I ate shit because I didn't come in with like X, Y or Z thing. Let me go do some of the random missions that are randomly generated and see if I can just like get a couple items here and there that will help that. Or let me see if I can get the currency I need to upgrade uh, my my base of operations to get like this extra room, which will unlock this thing. Um, there's a whole side bit of this where you are also capturing all these people, brainwashing them and then also assigning them to work in different rooms that will unlock different things for future runs, um, which is very cool and uh, a little bit micromanagey, which I really like. But yeah, I, I mean, overall, I just think this game is really brilliant so far. I've been having a great time with it. I, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface still also because I think there's like five MacGuffins and I have one of them. So I will probably report back or at least talk about this game eventually when I play more of it. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out too. I mean, you, you definitely sold me on it. This and yeah. Star Wars. So yeah. those are on my backlog now. I... I it runs great on switch I've heard it runs great on steam deck I have had a couple framey issues on switch where like some of the interactions get a little wild that I imagine wouldn't happen on steam deck just because it's more powerful also one of the items you can get is a camera and anytime you press the like trigger button to like quote-unquote fire your weapon it just takes a screenshot and that does not work on switch Um, it just (laughs) it just saves like a big digital mess on on your uh switch's like uh photo library which is funny but i think on steam deck it actually takes a screenshot for real that's awesome i would recommend if you have a steam deck and you haven't played aperture desk job definitely do it because they teach you some shortcuts that you wouldn't know otherwise one of which is how to take a screenshot yeah which you do in that game which is funny it's great yeah but that's mr sun's hat box i don't have much more to say about it i think you should check it out i think you'll like it yeah, it sounds awesome. Man, we're tiptoeing towards a reality that is overwhelming in terms of game releases. You've mentioned many times August. I mean, I know that's a bit farther away, <laughs> but like I consider June to be the beginning of like madness. Yeah. And I mean, we have Zelda next month or I mean, in a couple of weeks at this point. So it, I just want the latter half of this year is going to be a lot of really great games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, August in particular, I'm like really just kind of gearing up for i'm curious because you tweeted you're like these are the games come out in august like how dare they do this mm-hmm. and i'm curious which of those most like which one you're, are you going to get first and probably put the most time into and i wouldn't mind hearing the list out loud again if you don't mind yeah all right so august well this is this is the last week of august to the first week of september okay armored core six sea of stars oh Baldur's gate three <laughs> and starfield so which one is like day one i'm gonna play first of the bunch currently yeah if well if they all came out on the same day starfield starfield yeah no question yeah i i i I think starfield is gonna be even if it's not good i'm i'm gonna be too curious (laughs) to not play it immediately i yeah i uh i feel like completely emotionally guarded with starfield like i i feel like it's it's a kingdom hearts 3 scenario where i remember when that was when that game was like about to come out, you're like, I'll believe it exists when I'm like seeing the credits. Like yeah. I have the disc <laughs> yeah. in my PlayStation and I'm watching credits roll. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel about Starfield. I, I really don't know what to expect. I hope it's great. I hope it's like a big return for Bethesda. But 
out of that bunch for me, it's got to be Baldur's Gate 3. I, I cannot wait for that game. Yeah, I'm excited for you to get Baldur's Gate 3. I'm also excited for Baldur's Gate 3, but I'm excited for you to get that game. Um, <laughs> also, I mean, I, I just got to shout out like Armored Core 6, I think is really exciting. Uh, oh, yeah. Just in terms of like FromSoft has been making Souls inspired stuff and Soulsy stuff for years and years and years and years at this point. And it's cool to see them go back to this franchise that they haven't released a game in in a long time and say like are are they going to take some inspiration from what they've learned there and put that in armored core or is it just going to be like another armored core game and regardless of all of that i've never played one of these things before and i know because it's from soft that if i give myself over to it and give it enough time i will probably find something to love in it <laughs> yeah i i don't really know i mean the trailer it definitely doesn't look like it's going for a souls game in, in tone and in dialogue i mean and in combat yeah yeah, there are more lines of dialogue in that trailer than there are in like Bloodborne <laughs> as a game. Um, so like already different, but I'm I'm really excited to see how that how that shapes up. Yeah, cool. August. Anyway, why don't we wrap up? Yeah, that sounds good. Hey, Into the Cast It Online is our website for everything relating to the show. Thank you again so much to our patrons. I know you said it on the top, but I think we're both really blown away by the positive feedback about the Dreamcast prep episode. And I am really, really excited to eventually, you know, in the summer, Dreamcast summer, we'll be doing our season premiere all about the Dreamcast, and that will be available for everybody. So I'm, I'm really excited to get to that point. Speaking of bonuses, we have our Metroid Prime bonus that we're recording later today. Expect that soon. And actually, do you want to reveal our next bonus? Yeah, sure. I already started playing it. Yeah. Our next bonus is going to be Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door for the Nintendo GameCube. Yeah. I feel like I really loved our bonus about the original Paper Mario, but I feel like the the takeaway from that was like, we should play Thousand Year Door, shouldn't we? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, not that we shouldn't have played the original, but it's like, I feel like Thousand Year Door is the one. Like we've played so many Mario RPGs. We played the Mario and Luigi games, and I feel like Thousand Year Door, even from what little I played, I, I feel like that is like the closest they got to, to perfection. Yeah. So I'm excited to play that. That will be also with our really close friend, Will, uh, who joined us for the Mother 3 episode. Happy to have them back. And yeah, anything else we should announce here um, on your horizon? No, I don't know about announcing stuff, uh, but I, I will shout out. Uh, first of all, thank you to everybody who checked out Wavelengths yeah. last week. That was really cool. Um, people showed up for that. That was really nice. I, I'm excited to make more of that. Um also, just thinking about the month of May, uh, Redfall, the new Arcane game, comes out in two days oh, yeah. from the time of this recording. So it'll be out by the time this episode's out, uh, which straight to Game Pass, which is exciting. I think this is like one of the first, unfortunately, I would say, really big like AAA Xbox releases straight to Game Pass since this generation started. There's been a couple here and there, but like I would say outside of Forza and Halo Infinite, none have really like taken off for real. The the constant conversation I see about the Xbox is like, well, it just doesn't have a lot of exclusives, unfortunately. Like there's some cool stuff going on, but like they're just really not pumping out games considering they bought all those studios all those years ago. And I think like now we're starting to see it. Like now we're yeah, starting to see those right. investments paying off. Redfall is coming out on the second. Starfield later this year. It's like it's happening now, um, which is interesting. And then uh, next week, next Friday is Tears of the Kingdom. And that's going to really <laughs> just like fuck it's everything next up. week. Yeah, the 12th. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, anyway, uh, nice knowing you. I mean, I, we have all these plans, but that's going to be it for a bit. Right. Like, I feel like that has to be probably like, like what else are we going to talk about? <laughs> what else would we talk about? I don't even know. 
I'm excited. I love I love when this happens for us. Like obviously, you know, we're talking a lot of new games, but we're not beholden to the release schedule. This just happens to be an exciting time. But I do love when a game comes out new or old that we just like fall in love with, and that's just like the show for a bit. Yeah. Like <laughs> Three Houses just like was the show for a season. Mm-hmm. Uh and same with Animal Crossing. So I'm, I'm very excited to see if Shoes of the Kingdom has that pull. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's gonna be really interesting. That's that's why I'm happy that we're doing Paper Mario this month, because it'll give me something else something else yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll be like i'm just gonna want to play tears of kingdom the whole time and it'll be nice to uh like be forced to not do that they're uh, also different enough that, that they will you know i think there's a little bit of a danger and maybe having a, a game for a bonus that's like too similar to what we're currently playing yeah i mean I'll, I'll i'll say it the original plan for this month was to do wind waker uh we were yeah. gonna do wind waker and tears of the kingdom this month which uh we decided to hold off on for a little bit yeah uh, to do paper mario but i'm waiting for those reviews to come out and everyone to be like weirdly tears of the kingdom is exactly like paper mario in the thousand year door <laughs> Uh, when Goombella shows up as a link. <laughs> yeah, we thought it was just an Ouroboros of time connecting the entire Legend of Zelda canon, but it also has Goombella in it. <laughs> Goombella shows up and you see like a glowing triangle on her sneaker and it's like, sup, you brave or what? Uh, you know? <laughs> Honestly, if if you're doing the whole Zelda timeline, that also includes Link's Awakening. Which includes Goombas. Kirby, Goombas, Chain, Chain Chomps. Chomps. Yeah. Kind of Mario. And kind of Mario, yeah. Although there's also, uh, in Ocarina of Time, the, the Lon Lon Ranch owners are kind of sort of Mario, Mario and Luigi. Luigi. right, yeah. Yeah. Although I would argue that the, the Luigi stand-in is a little bit more Waluigi, because he's a little bit sinister. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. <laughs> I will say, I mean, the, the, the lingering question that you might be asking, dear listener, which I can answer for you now, is uh, why are we not doing Tears of the Kingdom as our bonus for May? And similar to when Elden Ring came out, we're considering doing it for June. Uh, I, I don't mind. I don't mind saying that now. The The idea was if it comes out in May, we're not going to want to like crunch and finish the entire game in May and then record an episode about it. And similar to Elden Ring, we're not going to know enough about Tears of the Kingdom probably by the end of May or whenever we would record that episode to even feel good about making that episode. We needed to wait a little while after Elden Ring came out and people started like, you know, Vati Video started making videos about the lore and people started talking about like the cool secrets and stuff. And you and I needed to finish it and like talk to other people about it and kind of get that out of our system before we felt comfortable doing a bonus episode about it and i think we're taking a similar approach to tears of the kingdom yeah it also will be nice too because i think sometimes it's nice to schedule a bonus around a game that we're already playing that's what we did with ratchet and clank Mm -hmm. a couple years ago where it's like you know if if it fits into our schedule why not do that yeah and that also doesn't mean to be clear that we're going to do a bonus for tears of the kingdom because it's possible that the rest of our episodes in may will just be so focused on tears of the kingdom that that ends up being the bonus kind of weirdly we also might get like randomly really into star ocean or something (laughs) yeah it's true it's possible it doesn't we have no control over this cannon spike bonus yeah (laughs) you're not i mean you're not kidding anyway thank you so much for listening uh we'll see you next week have a wonderful rest of your week goodbye Worst garbage, the online.